Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Hello, listeners. Aaron here, just popping in. Before the actual episode begins, I want to mention something that we did mention at the end of the show, but I just felt that in case no one listens that far. I should stick this here in the beginning. There may or may not be an episode next week. I am currently in the process of moving. Um, and I may or may not be finally finishing moving out this coming week. I'm not for sure. It depends on a lot of details that are currently up in the air and out of my control. If I do move this week... There also is the potential that the new place I am moving to, I won't be able to set up internet in time to record the podcast because, you know, normally you have to, you know, like call whatever spectrum or whatever and have them come up and pay an ungodly amount for them to plug one thing in the wall and then leave. So, yeah, I'm not for sure. Sorry, I would like to have a more concrete answer, but it's just out of my hands at the moment. Um, so, yeah, the opportunity, the 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 potential that there won't be an episode next week is pretty high. Uh, if you follow the Loft on Twitter at the Loft ninety eight, I'll be tweeting as soon as I learn if there'll be an episode or not. And if there's not an episode. It will simply just go up the next week. It won't come out like a few days late. We're just going to take a week off. Hopefully I'll have internet by, you know, two weeks time. Anyway, enjoy the show. I think it's a fun one. Uh, thanks for listening. Chum, my pal, my, my fellow confidant, American. my ready? fellow American, proud patriot. Yes, right. I'm ready. All right. Hello, anyone listening, and welcome back to another episode of the Views from the Loft podcast. I'm Aaron. Joining me as always, Trevor. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm I'm alive. All I can hope for these days. I'm living. Not dead yet. Um, who knows? Soon. There was like a weird bug on my desk earlier, and it like freaked me out. So I hit it with my phone, and now my phone smells weird. So. Mm. <laughs> Poison. We're going to have to, like, disinfect my phone after this. Anyway. Uh, oh, Letterbox update. How's the watch list coming along? For you? Well, guess what? What? I did, did it. it. I did, did it. it. I actually Ooh. did it. I did it Saturday night uh, while we were watching the Sonic 06 fan dub. Great. Uh, I finished it off. Oh, my hands smell weird. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I finished it off. And I've added actual things I want to watch, which is at 390 now, which is still pretty big. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's I a mean, lot. It's not that bad. It's a lot more manageable than um. And they're movies I actually have an interest in watching. You know, not just. Yeah, my watch list is 614. So. Right, because I mean I can keep track of that number of movies as I. Oh, excuse me, as I went through the watch list, I it became apparent rather quickly that um I didn't even remember. <laughs> adding the vast yeah. majority of them to it and i 
Found some interesting things though. And some that stuck around. Yeah, I find I find that with my watch list too. Even even with six fifteen, like I'll go through it and I'll be like, I don't remember adding this. Or I'll come across a film and I'll be like, Oh, I'm gonna add this to my watch list, and then it's already in there. No. Sorry, I just had to take a towel away from my dock. Oh no, no, sir, you're fine. <laughs> well, any other updates in the life of Trevor, or should we get on to news? And I mean, I say this every time. You know, my life is nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I. You cleared your watch list, and I got a weird bug on my phone. Yeah, I had to take a lockdown exam for the first time ever. Oh, those are those are always fun. It just infuriated me, and I talked to myself like a lot, and so like I was sitting there, and then it dawned on me, and I just started. I was like, I was like, oh, I, I realized now. Wait a minute. Oh, is it one that, like, accesses your mic, too? Well, yeah, my mic and my webcam. Oh, I've never, the only one I've ever had to take is just, uh, if you try to open up any, uh, any other tabs on the computer, it just signs you out. But oh, see, I had to do that alongside the webcam and the mic. Oof. That's and rough. so I was just kind of muttering, and then I realized, it's like, wait a minute, this records me, <laughs> and it notifies you every time it hears something, doesn't it? And I was just kind of sitting there, it's like, I'm sorry, I, I talk to myself a lot, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> so I, I just a, kept mumbling. I know we should get on to news, but uh, I have a professor that makes us come to class to take the exams. But they make us bring our laptops and take the exam on a lockdown browser in class. Why? What's the point? I don't no, know. It's just nobody's like... that fucking stealthy as to like... I know, Manage but it's, some tab switching in the middle of a... It's like if you're already making us install a lockdown browser, just let us do it at home. Like, don't... I don't want to show up. I don't want to yeah. come all the way... To, like, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. Like we well, even... I've had a professor who's like, we're going to watch a documentary in class today. I posted it on Blackboard. Just come to class to watch it. Yeah. It's... Like, I, why? I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. With COVID going on, it... I was talking about someone with this earlier this week with COVID going on it feels like the only point of class is to show up so then teachers can tell you all the homework you have yeah you can't do anything in class mm. so it's like what's the point like like literally every thursday one of my classes uh it's an hour 15 minute long class she just holds us for about 30 minutes and she just goes goes over the stuff that we have due in the coming weeks and it's like why why make me wake up, get dressed, come to class, mm. sit down, listen to you tell me all the stuff I got to do at my home, and then go home? <laughs> like, just yeah, ad- admittedly, where I do history classes, it's like I generally – and sometimes I talk to people, and it's like, oh, man, you're really lucky. You you barely have – because I don't know if you – I hardly ever have homework assignments. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, it's it's always like – and then the last week or two of classes – I have ten papers due. Yeah, I, and and you you're expected to have that whole time been researching it, but the secret is nobody does. Oh yeah, I I've been in this class, and so everybody is just like up at four a.m. turns in a paper that's half the length and just says, "Please, just take it." Yeah, most like, of the homework I have is like easy. It's just time consuming. Mm-hmm. I guess I like that to kind of pad off the grade for when harder. Oh yeah, it's useful, but it's just yeah. I don't know. I feel like this has not been a difficult semester though for me personally. Uh, for me, it's been time consuming, but not yeah too hard. Not a lot of brain power. You know, I was. It was funny. I was. Um, 
I was, um, you know, I was hanging out with, well, I don't want to name names, but you know them. It was uh, somebody that uh, me and Edie went to prom with, if you remember. Oh, yeah. I was hanging out with her and with a certain uh, ex of one of our friends and, and, and then the, and the former's boyfriend, he's a nice guy, by the way. Um, I'd never met him before, but a certain somebody happened to be drunk and it decided to call said ex, which was a really awkward moment. Um, and I, and nobody wanted that to happen. And everybody said, no, don't do that. But you know how it is to convince a drunk person. Um, so it was funny though, because then when, you know, when Trey was on the, when he was on the phone, I don't know, she said something about my grades being trash or something. And Trey said something about like, Trevor's the slipperiest bastard I know. If something goes wrong, he'll figure it out somehow. <laughs> and I just, I was like, oh, thanks. I think, I mean, that's sweet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am pretty slippery. I'm covered in butter. I'm oily. Very oily. You're an oily boy. I'm, 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 a, I'm a slick boy. Just, oh, look at me. So juicy. Come and take a bite. That's an all invite right. to all of our listeners. <laughs> to take a bite. Out to of take a bite out of Oily skin. Right, Bursting with flavor. <laughs> let's talk about the news and move on. Um, are you ready for just a bunch of delays? Well, that's all it's ever been. That's all it is. But you know what? I'm going to say this article comes from Nerds and Beyond, a website I've never heard of. But I appreciate Nerds and Beyond because they put all the delays that happened this week in one article in one paragraph. That's convenient. Normally, if there's like five delays, I got five different uh, articles pulled up. They're all like three paragraphs long. They give you some big like, you know, ex- probably because they get paid by the word. But, you know, can't fault them for that. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you know, know I like, do it too. Yeah, but this, uh, yeah, this is just all the delays in one nice little article. So thanks to this website and the author Haley, who is apparently uh, going to school to get her bachelor's degree in journalism. That's at the top of the article. It's like a little description of who, who she is. So good luck on your degree, Haley. <laughs> all right, so. <clears throat> here we oh i got the wrong one pulled up damn it <laughs> okay so dune originally set to premiere december 18th 2020 yeah, yeah has been pushed back to october 1st 2021 yeah the batman was originally supposed to come out in october 2021 now that dune has moved there uh the batman has been pushed back to march 4th 2022 I'm sorry for anyone who hears my dog squeaking a toy. There's not much I can do about it. Um, <laughs> Jesus, it's so loud. The Flash, <laughs> the Flash has been moved back from June 3rd, 2022 to November 4th, 2022. Not The Flash! Ezra Miller's The Flash. Rip. Shazam 2 has been pushed back from November 4th, 2022 to June 2nd, 2023, and Black Adam, which was originally set to release December 22nd, 2021, has been removed from DC's release schedule. So, who knows when or if that movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson will come out. Um, I don't know. It's been a long time coming already, so... Yeah, I feel like it's. <laughs> I've been hearing about this movie for so long. And then also, um, Jurassic World 
Dominion, which was set to come out June 11th, 2021, has been pushed back an entire year and will now release June 10th, 2022. So, oh my god, The Flash, Shazam, Black Adam, Jurassic World, Dune, Batman, just every movie coming out. <laughs> it's crazy. We're never going to see it. Well, you know, plenty of time to catch up on the backlog. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, it's... I feel like as this continues, and as we talked about last week, perhaps cinemas just close down and don't reopen. Not all of them, but a lot. Um, I think studios will get more used to this, and we'll be able to plan accordingly as far as it comes to budgets and stuff. But right now, I think we're in this weird limbo where you have all these movies that, you know, had no way of knowing that this would happen so they've spent this you know insane amount of money on the budget and marketing and now they're it's kind of up in the air like well do we drop it on streaming like bill and ted did really good on streaming but also as we talked last week bill and ted had like a pretty small budget like I mean, these it's are, bill and ted yeah like these are huge films so who knows i don't know could the blockbuster be dead maybe uh uh no i i probably I not no <laughs> Um, this next article... It's, it's on pause. It's in hibernation. Yeah. This uh, next article also comes from Nerds and Beyond. It's also written by Haley, who is still trying to get her degree in journalism. You know, good for her. Good for her, yeah. Um, so, this is just reporting that Benedict Cumberbatch is officially signed on for Tom Holland's Spider-Man 3 as Doctor Strange. And... Haley here seems to theorize that perhaps Doctor Strange will take on a mentor role like Iron Man did in the first one and like Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury did in the second one. Yeah, but the second one was also kind of about <laughs> Iron Man. Was it, was, was it was about Iron Man and was about him kind of becoming independent? Yeah, but And coming out probably... on his own? This one will have something to do with Iron Man again <laughs> because they can't tell a Spider-Man story without like relating it to iron man somehow. see i like the iron man angle like i really did i mean i still kind of do it's just um you know i think it's past yeah calm the fuck down guys i mean and nobody I cares that much like stop stop do new things it was cool when you first did it it it's your it's course he's dead he's dead everybody knows he's dead i can say he's dead he's fucking dead he died mm-hmm I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm passionate he, about it. He doesn't need a new mentor to replace no. Iron Man either. He's... He needs himself. That's all he needs. Yeah. That's all little Tom Holland needs. All right, final piece of I news. I apologize for slurping my key so loudly. Hey, it's. I feel like most people are going to turn this off because of my dog squeaking. Oh, no, our fans, they're, they're dedicated. <laughs> she's on the other side of the room, so hopefully we'll pick up as much, but I don't. I think it's going to still. Just if crappy, if to... crappy McDick turns off, if he turns this off, I'm gonna find him. I don't know where he lives, <laughs> but I'll, I'll figure it out. Don't fucking test me. This ain't a fucking game. This isn't Cinema Champions. <laughs> okay, final piece of news. <laughs> this one's just for you, Trevor. Oh, just for me. It, it came out in September. I can't believe I missed it. So <laughs> some people may have already heard this, but it comes from Deadline. Are you ready, Trevor? Oh my god, yes, I'm ready. I'm excited. Netflix <gasps> has put in development an epic live-action series based on Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> They're doing it, baby! They're doing it! Wow! They're doing it. This also says that um, 
This comes out of a new deal between Netflix and Conan Properties International. And this new deal reportedly gives Netflix the exclusive option to acquire rights to the Conan Literary Library and develop works across TV and film, both live action and animated. Wow. So we could see a bunch of Conan stuff coming out. Dude, I'm soon. excited. I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Because I, I really do feel like it's a role that's like meant for Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. I know he's old now. Um, and so I've always talked about, and uh, I'm sure I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, what I've always wanted to see is a Logan-style movie about Conan. That would be cool. Yeah. Because or... that's, I mean, the first story that I believe, I don't know if it's the first that Howard wrote, but it's like the first that's kind of that's compiled generally. It may be the first that he wrote, um, but I know that in the books that I own, it's like the first one is is him. He's already a king. And it's like after his adventuring days are done, his body's kind of wearing down and an old man remembering his days as a conqueror, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of like that angle. And I feel like, I honestly do think, I don't think Schwarzenegger is good for much in terms of acting, but I think he can do that because um, he doesn't have to do much. He just kind of has to brood. Uh, and I think he can brood pretty well. And he does pretty good, because that's what I like about Conan. He's pretty good in the same way that like Keanu Reeves can be, where it's like, all right, don't make him talk for very long. Yeah. Make him have like the big line, right? Make him say something really dramatic, and then move on to something else, have somebody else talk. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it could work. And I mean, because that's like, I mean, because I've watched, because I've seen every Terminator movie. I've seen Dark Fate, and, you know, he's old Terminator in that movie. Not the best thing ever, but it's enjoyable. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I, I feel like it should be, but you know, I would like to see some of the stories adapted, maybe more like faithfully, and you know, yeah. it, it, it fits. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I know the, the, the next season, or seasons, I should say, probably of The Witcher are going to be different from the first. Mm-hmm. because, like, the first season is mainly them adapting a lot of the short story works and trying to, like, wrap them into, like, a coherent narrative. Like, alongside some stuff from the books that's, like, you know, kind of, like, basically prologue material. Because that's basically what season one of The Witcher is. is like, a prologue to the rest of what it's going to be about. You know, with Siri and everything. Yeah, um, I didn't finish it, but I I, got, I watched most of it. Yeah, I mean that's not like a that's not a spoiler because that's the whole oh, arc. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole arc of the season. Like you know that it's that's what they're leading up to. I mean they give that away in like the very beginning, and uh, it's just a matter of when, not if. And so I know they're going to be different in that kind of way. But I imagine if they adapted like because Conan's like just a bunch of short stories, it would be kind of like the first season of The Witcher. It's just a story about a guy <laughs> roaming around, getting involved in nonsense. And, and, and killing things and you know i like sword and sorcery i always want more i'm sorry i've talked about conan so i love conan i fucking love conan bring me conan come here okay. and crush me with your sumerian thighs fill some time talk about your love for conan i'm gonna try to trade my dog the towel that i took away earlier oh okay squeaky toy so sure sure goes. you're gonna deal with that okay well while aaron does that i suppose i'll talk more about Conan is a phenomenal film. Like I'm going to talk specifically about Conan the Barbarian, just the the 1982 movie, 
Because, ah, right. oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go. I was getting ready. I had to pry everybody, though. I was like, I'm gonna but, talk. Oh, you're gonna hear it. I don't need to fucking tell you what I said. But... I gave her the towel. She doesn't seem that excited. <laughs> no, no. Is it is it at least occupying her? It is. Uh, she's dragging it around. Oh, she's going back. Oh, she's having fun with it now. Okay. Oh, that's good. I'm glad she's learning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry for everyone who had to suffer the first, like, uh-huh, 15 but... minutes. <laughs> but good little arc there. <laughs> we had a good little bit. We had a, it's a sufficient bit. Yeah. Well, that's all the news I have. That's all the Conan. It's all, this, it's all the news. We're going. You know, at least it's not a cancellation. Yeah. It makes oh. me happy. Hopefully it doesn't get canceled. I hope. Oh, wait, I forgot. I have a news correction from last week. Oh, oh, wow. We got to do a redaction. The only time that we've ever said anything wrong. Totally. So last week I said that the actress who is playing Kamala Khan in the upcoming Disney Plus series has a letterbox. That is still true. Okay, good. I said she gave Captain Marvel a bad score. That's still true. But I said that she gave uh, Black Panther a two two out of five stars. That is not true. I went back and checked. She gave a four out of five. Oh. She likes Black Panther. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's hard for us to talk about letterboxed reviews. (laughs) Yeah, because we do things. We do a different, yeah, we do a different scoring system. Yeah, um, but you know. Anyway, yeah, I mean, well, I'm no, I mean, yeah, I'm just glad that we have some hard hitting journalism here. You know. Yeah, exactly. We're not no, gonna no, spin you some bullshit, and if we do, we'll be sure to own up to it because we're, we're honest men. To admit when we're wrong. No, never. Yes, because we're right. never wrong. I mean, that was just exactly. an accident. That was a but mistake. you you knew that you'd done it, so you weren't yes. wrong. <laughs> exactly. That's all. <laughs> That's a All line right. in a. That's a line in a the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Is it really? It's it's not like exactly like that, but Jim Carrey's like you know Doctor Eggman, and uh, he's like I forget what it is. But oh, I've Sonic seen that movie. Oh yeah, you have seen that movie. I just don't remember anything. About it. There's like a thing where um, he uh, Sonic does something I forget what it is, and Jim Carrey goes, "I did not expect that, but I expected something that I wouldn't expect, so it doesn't count." That's big brain. Okay, let's talk about the movie that we actually watched tonight. Alright, uh... Oh, I forgot, I forgot to... You know, I set my phone aside because it smells bad. I forgot I need to pull up the the letterbox to read the summary. I'll suffer through the smell. Alright, so we watched 1989 Mystery Train, directed by Jim Jarmish. As usual, we're assuming that anyone listening has watched the film along with us. Probably not at the exact same time that we watched it. I mean, we had you know some pretty low odds on that one. Regardless, though, we are going to talk about this film openly. We're going to spoil some aspects of it, but we're not going to break it down scene by scene. Therefore, to refresh your memory, in case it's been a little while, I'm going to read the summary provided to me from Letterboxd. In Memphis, Tennessee, over the course of a single night, the Arcade Hotel, run by an eccentric night clerk and a clueless bellboy, is visited by a young Japanese couple traveling in search of the roots of rock, an Italian woman in mourning who stumbles upon a fleeing charlatan girl and a a comical trio of accidental thieves looking for a place to hide. 
that's the summary and that's the movie. I mean, it's pretty accurate to um yeah, everything that is in the movie. So when I read this summary before I watched the movie, I kind of thought all the all the characters and the stories were kind of going to bleed together. That's generally what happens in a movie like this. Yeah. But, but it doesn't. It, it is more of an anthology consisting of three stories. The one featuring the Japanese couple is called Far From Yokohama. Um, the one featuring the uh, Italian woman in mourning is called A Ghost. And the one featuring the three thieves is called Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, they're like loosely connected, obviously. Like they all take place on the same night. And there are like similar, there there are like narrative points that kind of help you place where everything is happening. In the, the radio, night. namely. Yeah, the radio, I think it's like 2, 2.15 a.m. They play Blue Moon by Elvis. The gunshot, which kind of is the end of all of the stories. And then I think also the train. I think the Japanese couple watches the train go by at night. The thieves drive underneath the bridge as the train passes. And then I'm pretty sure the Italian woman hears the train whistle in in her room. And there, there's also kind of similar themes and uh, reoccurring settings that connect them all. I'm... I'm pretty sure the Japanese couple walked past the bar that uh, Johnny gets drunk at. Yeah, I believe, yeah. And I think, the doesn't the woman walk by? I don't know. I, I forget. The widow? Yeah. Yeah, the widow walks by one of the thieves fixing his car. And then, of course, I think probably the most obvious one is that the girlfriend or the the boyfriend whom uh, I forgot I think it was Didi. In the second story, the boyfriend who Didi keeps referring to is Johnny's character from the third story, and then also um, Steve Buscemi's character Charlie. The Japanese he's in the third story, and the Japanese couple walk past his barber shop and see him outside in the first story. So. And then they're all kind of intercut with these kind of like little comedic bits uh, with the the bellhop and, and the guy who's at the the night clerk, I guess. I love both of them. They're great. I think this movie in general is, I kind of just gave it extended like synopsis, but also talked about how they all tie together. But I, I think this movie in general is pretty great. I it really... is, it is. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, I know it. I say that line a lot, but it is <laughs> true. Especially this time. This is completely random, but I want to say it. Will Robinson, who is in yes. the final story. Mm -hmm. You know who he looks like? Who? Looks like He looks like skinny, younger Reggie Philzame. I can see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me so long. I was like, I swear to God. I swear to God. Who is that man? He looks, and I look him up on Letterboxd, and he's not like in anything I'd recommend, I'd, re you know, recognize. And I just, yeah. oh, wait. He just looks like a Reggie that's not, I mean, Reggie. Reggie's a strong man. I'm not going to diss Reggie, you know. But yeah. He looks Don't like a younger, you know, you know, maybe a little less weight on him. 
you know, it looks like he's got like the exact same eyebrows and like yeah. the same forehead. It's like it's kind of astonishing. I'm looking at a picture of him right now on Wikipedia. And he really does. Oh, <laughs> and I and I, I just like I think it dawned on me when they were sitting in the truck passing the bottle around. I was, <laughs> was like, oh my scene. god, that's right. That is a great scene. Yeah, but uh, they're all really good actors in that. Yeah, everyone in this movie is like really good i think i think the woman who plays I, I don't remember a lot of the character names um i don't think it's really that important but the japanese woman from the first story i really liked her actress she did a good job at like you know showing like how in awe of everything yeah that she was and, and she's and she's adorable um yeah she's great i mean everyone in this movie is great like you said the night clerk and the bellboy are both really great which the bellboy was played by uh Oh my gosh, I, I'm blanking. I read it earlier. Um, oh yeah, he's played by uh, Spike Lee's younger brother. Oh really? Yeah, who Jim Jarmusch was was friends with. I, I was reading about the casting, and nothing was too interesting. But like Jim Jarmusch, uh, like most of these roles, he wrote with the actor or actress who ended up playing them in mind. And that's a good way to do things. Yeah, a lot a lot of them he was friends with. He had worked with on previous projects and then some of them uh like I believe he was in Japan promoting a film that he had that he had previously written or Yeah, he, he was writing a film. He was writing a film that took place in Japan, I think. And so he was watching like a lot of like Japanese films and he saw the actress in the actress who plays the Japanese lady in this film, he saw her in another movie and like really wanted to work with her. So yeah. Well cast. Everyone is really good. Um, this is what I was going to say. Hmm. My brain is small and fried. <laughs> um, I, I've liked, um, the dialogue in this movie a lot. Yeah, it felt really natural. It didn't come off as like forced in any way, which is always good to see. I don't really talk about dialogue very often, but it is very important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one of those things you never really know it until you see it, kind of. Yeah, and it's just like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty clean. That's pretty nice. Um, I, I thought the dialogue was kind of like subdued. Like there wasn't that much. Right, and that's talking. what makes it. That's yeah. what makes it good is it's like people talking like people normally talk mm -hmm. instead of people giving. I mean, sometimes it depends on the film and it depends on the genre and it goes with any media. But like, you know, um, something like, you know, the ever famous Conan the Barbarian 1982 <laughs> um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, a movie like that can get by with like the big overdramatic melodramatic nonsense. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that fits, and it kind of it's kind of like cathartic in a way to be like, ah, yes, listen to him speak of his sword. You can only trust your sword. Don't trust women. Be an incel, Conan. Trust only in your blade, like a true warrior, like a true knight. Um, but, uh, yeah, in a movie like this, that's very grounded and based. Up, I mean, it is. That's what. That's entirely. I mean, with the exception of um, Elvis Presley. Yeah, the ghost of Elvis. <laughs> which was great <laughs> did not expect that it felt it reminded me of like the the nixon part in in uh oh, nice guys 
Oh yeah, yeah. Just something like out of the blue that does not really fit with the rest of the movie, but is pretty entertaining. <laughs> it's it's yeah, and I mean I like that a lot too because it kind of it's a nice like foil to everything else that's going on because for the most part it's very very almost oppressively mundane. Yeah, just like the things they're doing. I mean, listen, all right, you know, all right. So, I've been to Memphis. I don't know if you've ever been. I have not. I have been to Memphis. Because we live relatively close to Memphis. Not super close. I mean, it's like a day or whatever. But... You can drive there. Yeah, you can drive there. Um, and I don't remember Memphis looking like that at all. I'm assuming that's because I stuck to the nasty tourist trap. Yeah. I, and I, I think... didn't see anything very, you know, what you'd expect of a city. Any city in America, really. I mean, to be honest. Um... And, uh, well, this is kind of a random thing to bring up, but I, I like the Japanese, um, angle, which is, which is another thing entirely how this movie is like, kind of like nobody in this movie is like somebody, I don't want to say somebody who like doesn't live in Memphis, but it, it's like, it's yeah, you're right. Cause it's like the Japanese couple, they're, they're visiting the Italian woman, she's there on layover, and then Johnny is from England, and the only reason he's there is because of his mm. girlfriend, and he kind of hates it. Right, right, and the uh, and even Steve Buscemi and the the the, the jilted girlfriend, they're they're from New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And and the only people who are actually from Memphis in the movie who are of any importance in the story uh, are are African American. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of like this. It's like an outside looking in. I mean, not you don't want to say that exactly, but you know what I mean. Like the position of an African American uh, person is inherently yeah. different, and so you know they. It, which is, I think, something that's kind of uh, propounded upon in um, the and last I, act with the you know Reggie Phil's name um, and some of his dialogue. Yeah, and I think that also kind of plays into the fact that like, like. And I don't know a lot about the the history of like rock and roll and stuff like that, but I do know enough to know that a lot of it was um, heavily inspired by African American music and oh, culture. Oh, it was. It was very and heavily. Then it was very like appropriated by people like Elvis, who mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know basically took what you know took like what came before them and then gave you know not a lot of credit and then just kind of ran away with it yeah yeah leaving, i mean there's like yeah the african-american artists to not be a, as successful at, or well known mm -hmm. as them and i think that's yeah, yeah kinda... there's an angle you can take with elvis where it's like because i mean he is the first to do this and he doesn't really i don't think as far as i remember and i you know i i know i'm a bring it out by history major you know <laughs> But I'm, I'm not. I don't study American history much, and I definitely don't study American rock and roll history very much. But from what I understand, I mean, yeah, I mean, Elvis comes into this, and for him, it's just kind of what he does. You know, he just likes the music, right? Mm -hmm. Like he just—that's he, the kind of music that resonates with him. So he just starts singing it, and so people really latch onto it. Um, and 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 there's kind of like this un this kind of unfortunate connotation that comes with it, where it's it's almost like um, you know how like people will this is gonna get 
playfully racial for a moment. Um, like, you know how, like, there are certain rap artists that people will talk about, and they'll say, regardless of the the rapper's race, they'll say that it's, like, it's white rap. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that, only worse, because a lot of the time in that specific thing, it usually they are, they usually are, like, black rappers. They just, the people just say that they're, they, they, oh, that's not real rap, that's not yeah. black rap. But, you know, with this, it's kind of got this nasty connotation of, like, um, we like the music, right? But we like it better when a white man. <laughs> yeah, we like white people doing it. Yeah. So that's why it catches on so strongly, because it's like, oh, a white guy singing the black guy music. Now I can listen to it. Yeah. And it's it's pretty terrible. And I think Elvis just kind of comes in, just he doesn't really know what he's doing. I mean, he's just trying to make a quick buck at the very worst. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they were purposely like. I, I do think later Elvis, people, later people come yeah. on and they're just like, well, we can turn, especially record companies. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, even even, you know, even blacks would listen to it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure probably not as frequently as, a you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's an argument that could be made that's more positive to play because de- I'm a cynic, you know, but the well, no, play I devil's think that, advocate. I think that is kind of something the film is trying to say, because I was reading uh, like I, I definitely picked up on that. But I wouldn't have picked up on this little detail just because I, I don't know anything about mu- music and I wasn't paying that much attention when the movie was ending. But um, so so the the movie's open by Elvis's uh recording of the song "Mystery Train," I think that's what the song is called. And mm-hmm. but it ends uh with the original version of the song "Mystery Train," which was written by a black musician named junior parker who wrote and recorded the song two years before elvis and it, his never caught on like his his was never right. as popular as elvis's so i i definitely think that is something that jarmish was trying to say and i think that's the way he i mean yeah that's certainly it. been an aspect of american just not even rock and roll culture but american culture in general yeah yeah like it's like it's it's not even just with african americans but like some things like it's if it's not taboo nobody gives a shit right mm-hmm. at the very least and um or at the very best nobody gives a shit and then somebody comes along who is i mean sometimes given this given how far i'm extending it they may be white as well right mm-hmm. um but somebody who is white white you know american white as in a you know a protestant uh germanic or of germanic or british descent you know mm-hmm. um white probably a guy usually right mm-hmm. and uh th- they come in and they kind of uh well it's always kind of tragic because it generally seems like the guy who does it first isn't really appropriating anything because, like, can you really say that somebody like Eminem appropriated rap? Because, like, he seemingly, I mean, you know, I don't really like Eminem that much, but, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he, he went in with this lens of, like, all right, I'm going to take the black people's thing. Yeah. You know, and so, it, and that kind of transcends into other things where it's, like, it only gets mainstream appeal once it starts catching on with the white people. Mm-hmm. And, um that that's just how little power and there's like this aspect because in that same sense we kind of pretend that stuff like that doesn't happen yeah we kind of idealize uh, our history our cultural history most of american cultural history has just been 
For better see. and for worse, us taking stuff. I mean, part of yeah. that's the beauty of American culture because it's a hodgepodge, as it should be. Like, I, the ideal American culture is nothing but a mixing pot, has no real yeah. identity, is completely formulated by whoever is in the area. Um, and and that's a good thing, but... Um, but you can't ignore, like, the people who kind of got, like, screwed over. Like, yeah, they, they completely got shafted. Yeah. And, and not even from, like, and to move on just from the perspective of, like, a race thing and inadequacy and, uh, you know, uh, inequity. Um, that, like, we we idealize the, the people behind it, too. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's kind of an aspect to it. Because you know, especially with the Japanese couple, they come to the area. Um, they come to Memphis, kind of idealizing the location. Yeah, like expecting it to be more than it really is ultimately, and they're like they go to Sun. I never went to Sun <laughs> Studio. Um, I, I did go to Graceland, just as an aside. Did, did you go to the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid? Or no, was I that didn't there know. Your... I don't know. I went, okay. it would have been 2000, early 2000s. I don't know. I just watched a video. I watched a, it was pretty funny because I, I kind of forgot this movie was set in Memphis. And I watched a video <laughs> just a few days ago that was like a parody. Like, welcome to Memphis like a memphis like tour guide but it was like a parody and they were like we have a bass pro shop uh a big corporation built this as a tourist attraction but then they went bankrupt so bass pro shop bought it and it's like a giant pyramid that was like meant to be like this museum or something but then whoever was financing it went bankrupt and then bass pro shop bought this giant like metal glass pyramid so there's just a giant pyramid bass pro shop. <laughs> oh, that's just lovely. Okay. I can't wait to see that. Oh my god, I gotta go back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Sorry to distract no, you. No, no, you're fine, you're fine. It's just like um there is kind of like this mysticism almost attached with these old landmarks and things, and they're never really what you expect them to be. People say yeah. never meet your heroes, but you probably shouldn't meet where they're from either. Yeah. Because it's always going to be corrupted by some kind of tourist influence. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be what you expect it to be. And the movie really shows that. And I like how they did it because the, the Japanese couple is visibly confused by the woman talking as quickly as she is. Because yeah. the guy, I don't think, even understands any English. And they're just awkwardly shuffling. Yeah. Which is, and the girl, yeah. the girl, she she understands some, but not enough mm-hmm. to keep up with that. And the funny thing, I is, mean, I I couldn't understand. I, what I was going to say I can't keep up with that. Yeah. And I'll tell you this: that is completely accurate to what it was like <laughs> when I was there. They really don't give a shit about any of it. It is just complete tourist bullshit. Where it's just like, all right, so. And then he died, you know. And then, and then you're yeah. out. You're out the door. Like I, I that when I was in, because I went, I did go to Graceland, like I mentioned. Um, terrible time, um, because it's. I, I mean, I, one, I don't give that much of a shit about Elvis. Second, <laughs> it was just like you'd walk in there, and they would like they you would shuffle like that awkwardly the whole time, especially in Graceland because it's packed, and, and you're always just moving and moving. And and there's just like no time to actually look at anything, and the tour guides are rattling off nonsense at a hundred miles per hour, and there's no time to just process any of it. Yeah. But I'll say this as kind of a random thing: I like that they were Japanese. Um, 
because, and this may sound like I'm being racist <laughs> or stereotypical, but I swear to God, it is true. And because there are there are quite a few Westaboos to say. Oh, now, yeah. As yeah. they say. I mean, just there were there a are. lot of Japanese people in Graceland. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, because that's like kind of, you know, I, as an American, do you, and I'm sure, I mean, you could, you're an American too, I'm assuming. It's true. Right? It's true. Yeah. Uh, do we really think about Elvis that much? No, <laughs> I don't think. But so. people think that we do. Well, like people without have this... say, without going into too much detail. Me and you both know someone who, yes, is obsessed with Elvis. Yes, and we do. also we have a friend whose grandmother is obsessed with Elvis. Um, and that I other mean... person I was referring to before is obsessed with Elvis because of their grandparents. So maybe it's just like an older generation. It, I, I think that is part of it as well. But yeah. <laughs> ultimately, how much of but no, Elvis like, is in the public consciousness? Yeah, Elvis, I, I don't know. Yeah, But he is like representative of Americana, so to speak. Yeah. So they kind of just like, like it's interesting because they don't really go there for American culture. They don't go there for the culture of Memphis. They go there for the culture of Elvis. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I find that kind of an interesting angle because that's the whole, it's a foreign set of eyes and all yeah. of the characters really, because yeah. that's kind of like, you know, I mean, cause ultimately, you know, an African-American living in the South, I mean, ultimately that's going to kind of be like, that's going to inevitably be like a foreigner in your own home. Mm-hmm. I mean, they show that especially because the guy picks up a bottle and is immediately accosted <laughs> by the clerk yeah, at the yeah. bar. Like, he doesn't even... He literally just did something so mundane. And he holds it for, like, two seconds. Yeah, he didn't... He wasn't even... He wasn't he making shifty moves. Looks he at was it. literally <laughs> looking at a bottle like one does when they're thinking about purchasing something. Reads the label, and the guy says, you gotta buy that. Yeah. I like how he was so bold. It wasn't even casually racist. Like, that itself is no, casually he, racist, but he had to break out the hard R. Like, you yeah. know, like that wasn't enough for him. He may have to make sure he pissed somebody off. He had to make sure there were no doubts about how racist he was. Um, I, I, Yeah, I like the way how Men Memphis was portrayed in this movie. Kind of like a... I kind of felt like like a ghost town, you know? like Yeah, it definitely something... did. It reminded me of, like, Detroit. Yeah, like something important used to be here, and it still kind of looms over the city. But it, yeah, it's kind of like the, it's like pretty, but it's also like sad in a way. Yeah, especially with like so many wide shots of just people walking, and you kind of see like the kind of like the decaying city in the back, you know? Yeah, it's pretty in the way that like Southern Gothic literature is. Yeah, it's like it's not good. And, it's just kind of romantic, which yeah. doesn't have to mean good. Another thing that I took out of this movie, moving away from like what it had to say about a race and Americana, is I, I thought it, I, I, there might be a term for this, but I don't know. But I'm sure everyone's probably thought about this at least once. But I thought it kind of like portrayed the feeling of like when you're like walking down a street or in a store or you're on a bus and you look at like someone else. And you realize, you start thinking about how they have, like, a life, like, completely separate from yours that's 
equally as complex, if not more, and uh, of, you know, they have a life of their own where they're the main character of their own story. But in your story, they're just another person on the bus. And it's like we share so many, like, similar experiences, but the way we, like, experience them and comprehend them is, like, completely unique to us. And I thought that was kind of... I thought that was portrayed by the film in the way that like, it's the same night. They're pretty much all going through the same, like they stop at the same hotel. They go past the same scenery, but it's like completely different experiences and interpretations of their surroundings. And I thought kind of like they all had, like they all were in a similar room. They all remarked that there was no TV. And then there was, they all like, had an experience with the portrait of Elvis where it's like the Japanese couple are like, you know, view him as like almost like a God, like <laughs> the, the girl is so happy to have Elvis watching over them. And then the Italian woman, she like knows who Elvis is. And she kind of, uh, she, I don't know. Like she has the whole ghost experience. <laughs> like, it's funny that she has that experience and she's the one who like is the most apathetic towards Elvis. Yeah. Like she's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, she's pretty apathetic towards Elvis, and then Johnny like hates Elvis. Like he can't, he want, he can't even stand to see the picture. Like he wants to turn it around. So I, I, I don't know. That's what that was kind of the overall like feeling that this movie gave me. Which oh yeah, like, I, I got that as well, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And that's kind of you know, yeah, you know, it's um, it's I guess that's why it's 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 more compelling because it's all told within the span of a single night. And even though the stories are largely unconnected, like we've mentioned, they have similar motifs and they kind of um, have similar, they have things that happen in them that like, like the radio, like the blue moon playing mm-hmm. the gunshot in the morning um, and the hotel, of course. Yeah. Um, and like the, that kind of, that's the, like the connecting thread. It isn't like the story itself, but just, yeah, it's like the, the surrounding commonalities yeah their individual experiences are like unique to them and i guess that maybe that could play back into like culture because they're all they all come from like very different cultures i guess mm-hmm. but yeah um yeah i don't know i i i love this movie sometimes it's hard for me to talk about a movie that i love it's easy to talk about something you hate yeah or at I least go I into thinking detail, about like I was thinking about like how it's kind of hard to sometimes tell if something's shitty or not, mm-hmm. because it's like if some like how many like something like Letterboxd is different because people go on there to like purposely to review things like that's the whole purpose of the site basically mm-hmm. is to review things and IMDb is similar in that way. But like think about like an Amazon product. This is completely off topic and everything, but. You know, you, you go and, like, say I want to go buy a fucking coffee machine. You know, I just want to make some coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I look at all the reviews, and they're all people giving them one star. But, like, you have to think. It's, like, something like that. Like, when was the last time you thought to review a mundane household product you bought? <laughs> like, yeah. when was the last time you went on Walmart.com and said, I am very dissatisfied with this toilet seat I purchased? Yeah, if, like some, the, if something works the way it's intended to work, you're probably not going to think 
of it because you paid money for it and it does what it says it does yeah you're not gonna bitch about it but if you're now if you're fear same with like a restaurant like if it's a good place to go you know it's a good place to go you're not gonna go and talk about it but if you hate that place with every fiber of your being you're gonna go on there and tell everybody that it's a shithole there are roaches (laughs) in the kitchen all right i i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i saw the guy I, I'm pretty sure I saw one of the chefs, Adam Kovic himself, and then like cook some food. All right, like, you think Adam Kovic listens to the podcast? You think he'll be upset about me name dropping him like that? Not, not after today. This is the last. He's out after this. He's, he's out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> he's not watching you, anymore. You, you messed up. You messed up, buddy. It was it was kind of funny at first, um, but you know, <laughs> you know, Adam, if you jerked off in my office, it would be a pretty good bit. I mean, I'd still have to fire you because that's like, but, but I mean, that's basically sexual harassment. I mean, who knows if you washed your hands and then just checks, you know, that's unsanitary. If we ever get, but a, I, if we ever get a loft office, no jerking, yeah. off. no jerking off. Uh, I, I will fire you, but I want you to know internally, kind of funny. I would think it's pretty funny. But I, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't make moral decisions based on entertainment value. <laughs> All right, back to the movie. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Overall, I thought like everything came together to just create like a really good like tone and atmosphere. And that's so satisfying. Yeah, I mean, it's truly great when you you can't point out one thing that makes the film so atmospheric because everything comes together. You know, it's like it's like the color palette, it's like the music, it's the way it's shot, it's the acting, it's the characters, it's the dialogue. It's the narrative, like everything comes together to create this like really unique experience, and that's that's what I got out of this movie. And you know, I could go into detail on each one, probably a lot less detail on some than others. But ultimately, it boils down to is I I really enjoyed everything, and like what I got out of the movie was, you know, what we talked about previously, the the themes and whatnot. The themes. The themes. Yeah. The themes. Yeah, um, yeah, it is hard to talk about something you you actively enjoy. Um, I lo- yeah, the music is great. Yeah, obviously very the, Memphis. The way the music connects everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love, I love the, because it's not like it. it the The way the stories are connected, it doesn't like bash you over the face with it. But also, it's not hard to miss. Like, I think most people watching, unless they're just not paying attention, will pick up on, like, the radio and the gunshot and the train. Like, obviously. You know. But at the same time, it's not, like, calling attention to it, really. In the way that I think some other films will, like. Which is good. Yeah. Not saying that, like, (laughs) maybe you didn't notice, but each story ends with a gunshot. I think Ooh. I think everyone notices that, but the movie the the movie isn't like people are dumb. We should like really make this important, <laughs> you know. And some smaller details, like I think some some people might miss. Like there might, there could be details I missed. Um, like I said, I think they walked. No, past... we're infallible. We missed nothing. <laughs> I think they walked past the same bar, but like I'm not entirely. It's Shades, sure. right? That's the name of the bar. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, I love, by the way, how Steve Buscemi is like the most generically uncomfortable white man in a black neighborhood. 
Yeah. Like that was entertaining. Steve was so good. It, it is. It reminded. I think it was like a Wonder Shows in bit, where it was like this. Like again, I'm gonna get playfully racial. Um, don't at me at Wonder Shows and if it was Wonder Shows and, um, it's like it was like uh, it's just some Jewish guy in like a black neighborhood and they're just like doing just they're just hanging around just doing absolutely nothing and he goes oh no please don't rob me and it's like that's the kind of because like he bumps into a guy and he's like oh, I'm, I'm sorry yeah i'm so sorry and he's like maybe i shouldn't go in there what if they think because i'm white you know i, I <laughs> it was like and then no no one even like pays him any attention <laughs> nobody gives a shit because it's steve Buscemi. i mean they all know yeah. him it's like oh hey steve I think this is the third Bushimi film I've seen in three weeks. I saw this. I saw Fargo, and I, of course, saw Hubie Halloween. Oh God! <laughs> Forgot he was in that. How could you forget? He's... I don't know. If you're right. How could I? How could you forget Hubie Halloween? Oh, mm. also, I completely forgot. I meant to stick this in news earlier, but I forgot to pull it up, so I don't have it here in front of me. So I'm paraphrasing. Oh, is it just gonna be? Adam Sandler verse. What? It, it was basically a clickbait article because it said, like, could an Adam Sandler extended universe be coming? So apparently, I don't think any of us caught on to this when we watched Hubie Halloween because if what? people listening don't know, me, Trevor, Gabe, a few of our other friends, we watched Hubie Halloween this past week. And Ben Stiller is in it in a small cameo and it zooms in on his name tag. Apparently, that's the name he shares with a character he plays in another Adam Sandler movie. I don't know which one it was. Uh, so someone, they're all the same. So an interviewer asked Adam Sandler, "He's like, D- does this mean a an Adam Sandler cinematic universe is coming?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's a cool idea. Give me another forty years or something like something like that." So then the article was like, "Adam Sandler cinematic universe coming." I think it was just an Easter egg. Like I think it was just a little nod, but I mean, people do that anymore, and then everybody's like, "See, it's the same universe. They're so connected." Yeah. Oh, oh, hey, hey, crappy! I just saw you liked my review of Far Cry. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think I have. You, well, you were saying something, weren't you? Was I saying something? I was talking about seeing three Steve Buscemi movies. Oh yeah, it's three Steve Buscemi movies. <laughs> um, uh, something before I started talking about him in a black neighborhood. Oh, I don't know. Ah, I... oh, well, whatever. Yeah, I'll listen to People it. People don't come to this podcast for like hard hitting. They don't come here for structure. No, not at all. Um... Anybody who listens obviously does not care about structure and that's a compliment because we don't i mean they probably don't even pay attention to what we're saying it's just background noise i mean yeah play which is it fine i don't li- care Let put it on while you play minecraft put, put it on while you clean your house do it if, if our conversations like bore you to sleep just go sleep to it. well no i was because we have such soft soothing voices yeah ah just woke ah! up just wake up, up. <laughs> wake up <laughs> okay I wanted to ask though before we got into today. I wanted what specifically was your favorite story? Oh, that's a good question. If you had to pick, if you had to pick um, one of them, I mean, I think, I think Lost in Space was probably like the most interesting. Like, obviously, the most happened. Um, and I think that's intentional as having it as the last story because in the other, it, yeah, the other two stories, you hear the gunshot and then. At the very beginning of Lost in Space, you see that Johnny has a gun. So instantly, that whole story, you're kind of like, okay, when who's getting shot? 
when is he firing the gun? So I think that was maybe the most entertaining, but I think maybe the most well done and that kind of like reiterates like a lot of the themes of the movies, probably far from Yokohama. I, mean, I, th- I think that was probably my favorite. It was, it was nice. It was mundane. It's a nice setup to the rest of the movie. And I think it does the best job at reinforcing a lot of the themes and what the movie is trying to say. What about yeah, you? I mean, you're definitely right. Um, what about you? I feel like I have to pick... Look, I'm a simple man. I like Elvis Presley, Ghost. Yeah, Ghost, yeah. That... I do. I also just found her character to be kind of entertaining. Um, yeah, I, I like her getting convinced to buy all the magazines. I like yeah. Her. Well, because it doesn't... Apparently, she's pretty wealthy. Yeah, or at least, yeah, like, little things like that don't really matter. She buys I all I mean, them. $200 seemingly Oh, yeah, I forgot about her. that. Yeah, $200 is nothing to her. She'll buy all the magazines in the store just because some guy asks her, and she'll give, guy, she'll give, like, a creepy guy 20 bucks just to leave her alone. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, I wouldn't do that. You know what was funny about that, though? I was, like, thinking. I was like, you know, if a guy came up to me and started telling me this story about Elvis, and he gave me the comb. I, you know what? If that's the end of it, I, I would believe him. Or at least believe that he was a crazy man. You know, because then it's like, oh, he literally had no motive. Yeah, I just think he, he was he, a crazy guy. Well, no. Yeah, I, he just comes up here and he gives me the comb. I mean, I'm probably not going to touch this. It probably has life. I would be a but, little worried that maybe he did something with the comb or something. Yeah, yeah, something like, like that. Like he Adam Especially Kovic, if you're a woman. He you know, Adam Kovic like, the cone and then. Yeah. Later that night, he's just jerking it to the thought. <laughs> the thought of you using the comb. The COVID comb. Oh, Christ. <laughs> the legendary COVID comb. Oh, God. It's like that scene, and you haven't watched these movies. It's like 13 and 14 cameras or whatever. Yeah, I haven't seen it. You've, you've heard, you know, me, Brandon, and Andrew talk about them. There's like a scene in one of those where the, the guy, he like gets into the house and he like brushes his teeth with one of the toothbrushes. Like the next day, they're like, "Oh God, this toothbrush tastes disgusting." That's gross. It's very gross, and something like that. But yeah, I mean, if a guy came up to me, just like, I just think he's a lunatic, uh, or you, you know, if I was, if he was very compelling, uh, I, you know, well, not the Elvis story because yet yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody's told that story. Anybody who lives in Memphis has probably told that story. But it's like you know, completely innocent. I mean, potentially kind of crazy. But then he's like, oh, no, I need $10. It's like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, and then he's, like, kind of stalking her. Fuck off. That's terrifying. That was – it was interesting how this movie could change tone so quickly. Yeah, I guess that's something we didn't really address is that, you know, it's humorous, but it's also, like, it's pretty intense. It's like a dark comedy in a lot of ways. Um, Like, that was, like, actually pretty scary, like, having those guys lurking Very, very impressive, yeah. And then, not so much scary, but more so intense, I think, that the final story was was pretty intense. It was, it was. And I Um, I mentioned it earlier, but I really like how they planted that seed of hearing the gunshot, and then they introduced the gun so early on in the third story, so you're just kind of waiting in anticipation. Oh, yeah, that was was very suspenseful. And, like, you kind of, and I like that they ended up subverting it a bit, because I feel like everybody kind of imagined how that would end. Yeah, I mean, I specifically, I was like, well, af- well, after the murder, yeah, well, not the murder, but after the, you know, the shooting, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he's gonna blow his brains out. Yeah, I was going back and forth, forth on like he's gonna kill himself or he's gonna shoot uh, Steve Buscemi. Like, yeah, and and then, well, you know, you're right. I yeah, guess. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm in shoot to kill, not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. 
you know, and so, yeah, I liked that they didn't completely, I mean, they did, because they, I, I feel like they knew people would think that, uh, and then they, what if that's why they did it like that, because they knew those were the two things everybody would think of. That's true, yeah. You know, and then those two things kind of have, I mean, he doesn't shoot himself, but he's going through, and then he accidentally shoots Steve Buscemi. You know what, one thing that I wish they would have done, Mr. Right. Jim Jarmish, if you're listening, you yes. should have done this, buddy. I know it's nothing about film. I know nothing about film or how films are made, but you should have done this. In the final scene, when the truck is driving away and the train is driving away, there should have been a plane also flying in the sky for the Italian. Oh, uh, that's true. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of like a symbolic end. Like they're all like exiting this weird ghost town that is Memphis that gave them these all like you know strange personal journeys and i was like oh yeah the italian woman she's not on the train she's on a plane i was like they just had a plane just fly over but they just forgot about the poor <laughs> italian woman yeah um well that's all i got to say i like that the cop car like they were so paranoid about oh the yeah it cop. wasn't even going towards it them. was just a complete different just fucked off yep yep, yep. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know if there were cameras in that place. I, I can't imagine they would have much uh, much evidence on who did that, you know? No, I mean, the well, guy knows who did it. I mean... They did report... They did report uh, two white men and a black man, so... Yeah. Maybe... I but, know. I mean, they're just gonna leave... All, they're just gonna fuck off to Arkansas. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know their names. He didn't even show... They didn't get to show ID or anything. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to really connect it to them that easily. Yeah. Um. They have the gun on them. They didn't ditch it anywhere. They couldn't. You know. Mm-hmm. And you know they got away. They're gonna be in Arkansas. I mean that guy didn't die. Kind of had it coming. Um. <laughs> I thought anyway. he did die. I thought they said later on on the radio that he died. I thought they just said he was in critical condition or something. He was in oh yeah, maybe that was it. Because yeah. he did. He did just get shot in, like the shoulder. Yeah. Um. Well, that's all I have to say about the movie. If you want to get into summary and a final rating, yeah, I think that's about all I all I've wrote. All right, well, I went last last time, so now I will go first this time. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't really know how to sum it up except that I really, really, really like this movie. I thought it was one of those rare movies where it uh. It felt like an experience watching it than just Ooh, watching buzzword. a film. A buzzword, baby. But no, like I really do love films like this where you know all the all the objective elements like directing and cinematography and soundtrack and acting and dialogue and writing and pacing all kind of come together to create like a pretty subjective, like unique experience. And that also kind of ties back into the the themes. Uh, of this movie or at least what i thought the themes were and i yeah i think this movie does have a lot to say about like america and the south and um appropriation of uh particularly african-american cultures but other cultures as well from from you know people like elvis who yeah i don't, I don't know but i like that i liked what the movie had to say i think it said it in a good way and i I mean, I honestly, I had no problems oh. with this movie. So that means I might take this back down later on after rewatching oh. it because oh. I'm usually pretty high on movies after I watch it. But I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. Wow, that's bold. Yeah, I freaking love this movie. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm impressed. I I I I didn't expect a ten out of ten. Um. Uh, I I do agree. I I like this movie and pretty much everything it did, and I think it's really well put together. And so much of it is just so satisfying. And I love the way that I don't know. Everything just connects. It's like a puzzle. It's not really a puzzle though. It's like a puzzle that's already done. You just look yeah. at it and it's like, oh damn, look at that. It's done. It's finished. It's satisfied. <laughs> it's just perfectly pieced together. Yeah. And I just it's like watching somebody do a puzzle. Yeah, you see really how it's good pieced at making together, puzzles. But you don't have to think about it. Yeah, and, and I really liked that. Um and the acting is just they're they're all pretty phenomenal. And the characterization too. I mean, mm -hmm. I liked everybody in the movie in some way or another. Um But again, as usual I'm not going to just sit here and restate everything you said, because I agree with you. However, uh, I don't really... I can't justify this. Like, critically. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but... So, mine might go up. Yeah. But I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 as it currently stands. Alright, well... Because I don't really exactly know. No, yeah, I was kind of... I was kind of teetering between a nine and a ten that's what yeah i mean we only do it based entirely on like subjective yeah i mean yeah which is fair i mean really oh, yeah. i mean we we talk about everything that's like you know what we like about it we mm. know what we like okay we don't know what we don't like unless it's really <laughs> shitty yeah all right well time for recommendation from you all right what film will you recommend? I may come to regret this. Oh, no. And I'm so, so sorry if this doesn't work out. I don't think it'll be like Delta Force. Okay, that's fine. I don't think it'll be. It well, might oh, be on wait. like a... By the way, I was going back and looking through the old episodes, and I forgot that in the Delta Force episode, I lost the What Are the Odds to watch Delta Force again the following week and i never did because that was the week that is the episode before we went on like a month hiatus because my hard drive crashed and i lost everything and it took me a week to get everything back and by the time i got everything back i completely forgotten about the bet i only remembered it recently so i just want to say sometime soon i don't know if it'll be in the next week uh but i will be watching delta hearts again that's aren't we such honest men <laughs> yeah Oh, people should just. Oh, I'm sorry. I I keep delaying your recommendation. No, no, please um, leave it. Leave them in suspense. It's better. It's compelling. <laughs> Maybe this should have been at the beginning, but whatever. Uh, maybe not an episode next week because I'm moving this week and I don't know. <laughs> a bunch of stuff is up in the air. I I don't know when I'm moving, and if I am moving this coming week, I don't know if I'll have internet set up by the weekend. So I'll let you know beforehand, and I'll also let our listeners know on Twitter, at the Loft 98 So, yeah, I, I'd like to have a more substantial answer, but it's just a bunch of stuff up in the air. You never know. Yeah, may or may not be moving in the coming week, and if we do move, may or may not have internet in time, so we'll see. Just come over come over to my place, we'll, 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 we'll cuddle, set. we'll watch no, the No, we'll set six feet apart, Trevor, no cuddle. Oh, right, we'll set six <laughs> 
Aaron, we're both in school again. There's yeah, no there, point anymore. Really we're both isn't. just as likely. All right, like I could spit in your mouth, and you're probably just as likely to catch it as I am. Yeah. Like we were just as. I mean, we're just as fucked as we usually are. Is what I mean to say. Oh yeah. yeah. But um. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, stay tuned in case we do. Uh, we do. We are able to record a podcast. Yes. Um, or, you know, if Aaron decides to come over here, we can record it in my <laughs> echoey room and it would sound like shit. Yeah. Even more so than usual. All right. Um, well, which. My mic sounds like shit. I've listened to this. Mine's terrible. Yours isn't. Yours is crisp and beautiful, and mine sounds like an old man gargling dicks. <laughs> and anyway. Yeah. Um, and he's got emphysema. Anyway. <laughs> what film will, will we may right. or may not be watching? The one I may regret that we may or may not watch, I'm going to recommend, and you may have heard of this, as a 2.6 on Letterboxd. That's why Oof. I'm hesitant. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's Xanadu. How do you spell that? X-A-N-A-D-U. Okay. It's a fantasy, a musical, a place where dreams come true. And the description on Letterboxd says, and I, I'm not going to talk about it because I have, I've seen like a few, a little bit of this movie before and I have a vague recollection of what it's about. But I, I if I'm wrong, I want to see that I'm wrong. And if I'm not, I want to be vindicated in knowing that I'm not a lunatic, um, which is, and that's the whole, cause it's, if, if I remember it's fucking insane. Um, so, a beautiful muse inspired as an artist and his older friend to convert a dilapidated auditorium into a lavish roller skating club. Okay. Well, I've added it to my watch list. I've not heard of this. Uh, the top review is one and a half stars and says sit through the credits for a fun surprise. So, make sure to sit through the credits for a surprise. <laughs> I do know what the surprise is, unfortunately. Okay. And that's pretty much the reason I recommended this. <laughs> okay, well... I've added... I'll leave everybody with that juicy tidbit. I've added it to my watch list. Alright, time for the plugs. So, you can check out The Loft on YouTube. Sometimes we do commentary tracks. We, need... we should do one of those soon. Um, there'll be a link in the description to our YouTube channel for whatever platform you're listening to this on. You can follow The Loft on Twitter at TheLoft98. You can follow Trevor on Twitter at the underscore PT99. I will be tweeting out this week if there will be an episode or not as soon as I learn more. Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd at ScrubThug and Trevor is at PT99. Those are the plugs and I guess that means this is the show. So thanks for listening, everyone. See you maybe next week. Stay safe. Goodbye. Maybe. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.